I'll be reading from First Thessalonians four thirteen through eighteen. But we do not want you to be ununiformed brethren about those who are asleep, so that you will not give as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a short, with the voice of the ark angel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So, a couple things uh, I want to share with you before we jump into uh, uh, Luke chapter 12. Go ahead and turn there. That's where we're going to be at today. But this next week, the 29th, will be our first life group of, of this, uh, this school year coming up. And so if you haven't participated in life groups, I'd really encourage you to consider doing that. That uh, happens usually the, the first and third Sundays of the month. And what happens is groups usually, some meet here at the building, if that's most convenient for you, some meet in homes. But the idea is spending some time together talking about, okay, what does all this mean to me and how do I apply it and walk through it? And there's something about sharing a meal and talking about Scripture that really uh, provides a lot of great spiritual impact for us. And, uh, and it's just a great time for, for us to, to get to know one another and, felt, and, and learn how to, how to walk through life together. And uh, that's something that if you haven't participated in that or you have, I just encourage you to, to make that a priority coming up. And that, that starts here this next week. And if you don't know where to go or what to do, talk to Rob. Rob is right here, and uh, you can catch him, and, and he will give you instructions on, on uh, where you can connect with the group. And that's a, that's a great great uh, tool that we have for spiritual growth that I hope will, uh, I think all of us hope will be a great uh, blessing for, for all of us that participate this year coming up. Uh, as I said a minute ago, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 12. And uh, a number of years ago, when I, I first came here, uh, almost uh, pushing this winter will be four years ago, one of the things we did the first uh, six months or so that I was here, we, I preached through the book of, of Mark. And the book of Mark was, I think, a great place to start. And, and my rationale for that uh, was, you go back to, there, there's a lot of reasons for this. One example I'll give you, and I gave this uh, almost four years ago, but how many of you have heard of Ulrich Zwingli? You've heard of that name? He was, with Martin Luther and John Calvin, one of the big reformers in Europe. And he lived in Zurich, Switzerland. And what he did was he started reading his Bible, and it really impacted him. And so he was, uh, he was a, a priest at this, uh, this, this place in, in Zurich, Switzerland, and what he thought, as, as God convicted him through Scripture more and more, he just thought, you know, I wonder what happens if I just preach through the book of Matthew. 
And so he got up one Sunday and he said, I know that you're all expecting something different. I know that you're expecting uh, uh, me to, to go through the, what, what I've, I've called and what it was sent to me to, to preach through today, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to preach through the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, and he started reading through. And what happened is, is some of the religious establishment thought, Oh no, can you imagine the, the discord and what's going to happen and, and all of the dysfunction that's going to come out if we actually just let people hear the gospel? And, and there was all sorts of fear. You know, people tried to kill him for doing that. But what happened is lives were changed and hearts were touched. And that's always what happens when we go through one of the gospels. And so this last fall... A year ago, we started into the book of Luke, and my plan was, okay, we're going to take the fall and spring, and we're going to preach the book of Luke, because that's so important, I think, every second or third year to just take a gospel and go through that. And what happened is there was so much in the book of Luke that we made it halfway through chapter 12, because I just felt as we were going through that, man, I can't skip this. I can't blow past this. This is so important for us spiritually to grow in this that... I need this, and maybe if I need this, and somebody else does, and so we're just going to camp on this a little longer. And so the plan is, I, I left us almost mid-sentence this last spring when summer hit in Luke chapter 12, and we'll get to that here in just a minute. So my plan is, this fall, is we're going to walk through the rest of Luke, and there's some rich, amazing stuff that lies ahead for us that I'm really excited about, and I, I believe will be, be good for all of us as we, we walk through this together. But I'm going to back up. And we're going to walk through where we've been so far very, very briefly. When you look at Luke chapter 1, and I've got these scriptures up here, so you can just look at this here. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, this is what Luke writes. And he was not one that traveled with Jesus, at least that we understand early on. But he's one that traveled with Paul. And this is what he has to say. Many have undertaken to drop an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Okay, how many of you remember who Theophilus is? Okay, I don't. I have no idea. Nobody has any idea. Okay, so if you remember something, you need to tell me about it because I don't. I, I need to brush up on who that is. We don't know who it is, but we do know that Luke writes this. Maybe he was a benefactor, maybe he's writing to convince, something like that. But what Luke is saying is, I carefully investigated all these things so that you can know the truth of what you have been taught. And Luke includes more from more material from before the birth of Jesus than any of the rest of the Gospels. And so you can imagine Luke, and maybe Mary was alive, I'm speculating, we have no idea, but maybe Mary was alive during the time that Luke was writing, and Luke found her and said, Mary, would you just tell me this story? We've got to write this stuff down. I want to hear this from your mouth, from others that were there. And Luke goes through and he takes eyewitnesses because he wants to Theophilus and others to understand the certainty of the things that they have been taught, that this really happened, this is legit, this is real, this Jesus was an actual person, that if you walked up to him during his life and touched him, you would feel the warmth of his skin. This is real, this is good history. And Jesus himself shares, up to this point in time, he's going to share a whole lot more going forward. Here's something about his mission, what he is all about. And when he goes to his home synagogue in Nazareth after his ministry starts, he's handed a scroll and he sits down and he reads this. 
He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And there Jesus is at his home synagogue, and he reads this, and he says, What you are read what you just heard is being fulfilled today. In other words, I am this this one that is that is coming. I'm the one. This is the mission that I've brought to free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What I'm bringing is good news. And the response of the people is, hey, that sounds great, that sounds wonderful, until Jesus says, and the message is going to go to the Gentiles as well, whoa, wait a minute here, no, no, we're not okay with that, and they run him out of town and, and try to execute him. His own people try to execute him right at that point in time. And we continue on, Jesus says some other words that are important. He says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also because that is why I was sent. In other words, Jesus is not going to just stick around people he's comfortable with, people that he is used to, or people that are most like him. But Jesus says, I've got to keep going because I've got a message of good news to share with the people around. He continues on in chapter 5. He says, I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Hey, and this happens in a context where Jesus is saying, hey, I'm looking out for those people that, that don't know me, the people that don't know God. Those are the people that, that really need to hear the message that I'm sharing with them. And he says something as well here. He says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. This is when some of the religious leaders come up and say, Whoa, wait a minute, Jesus, we have a problem here. Your disciples are not very spiritual because we saw when they were walking through a grain field, they picked some grain and went like this, and they violated the Sabbath. <laughs> Jesus says, no. I'm Lord of the Sabbath, okay, it's fine. You can imagine their response. <gasps> and there's a few times where Jesus heals people on, sa- on the Sabbath. And boy, that makes the religious leaders upset because there are six other days to do work. Why on earth should you heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus gives his response and look, what's better, to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath? I'm going to do good. Deal with it. Jesus never says that in those words, but he says in different ways. People are upset. Oh, some of the religious leaders are upset because what's happened is what they were expecting is that when the Messiah came, when this great king would come, that he would embrace the religious leaders and say, wow, you've done a great job. Look at how great you've done preserving what God has, has given for everybody to follow. And just, oh, isn't it amazing how you, you, you even go to the point of, of separating a tenth of your mint bill and come, your spices, you're even so specific in following God that you separate all that. Isn't that amazing? But Jesus came and said, you know, you can do that, that's great, but the problem is you have neglected the most important things of the law, mercy, justice, and all these things. You've forgotten them. And, oh, man, the religious leaders are having a tough time with Jesus. And he continues on. One of the things that he says here, when John the Baptist is is imprisoned, and John had spent time preparing the way for Jesus, and this is uh, what Jesus says when John says, make sure that Jesus is really the one that was supposed to come, even though John was was testifying clearly that that's exactly who Jesus was. I think John in prison wrestled, just like many of us would in that situation, But Jesus says, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And so in other words, yes, John, I am the one that is to come. And look out, because as he's speaking to his disciples, 
There's people that are going to stumble because of me and because of the message I bring. Because it does not fit the box that they have placed God in. And it's going to be hard on them. And blessed are those that are courageous enough to understand who I am and what I am about and are willing to change and not stumble because of the message I bring. In chapter 9 he says, Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And from chapter 9 of Luke to chapter 19, Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. And Luke follows him as he has conversations with people along the way, as he stops in different towns. And this is what he, he shares. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into, betrayed into the hands of men. And that is not what's supposed to happen to the Messiah. And the disciples wrestle with that. They don't understand it. As we wouldn't, I'm sure, if we were in their, in their shoes. But we're going to see more and more what that means as we go along here in the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 10, this is actually not a quote of Jesus. This is, um, in, in the other Gospels, it is a quote of Jesus. Luke shares this story, and as Jesus repeated this often, apparently, is the, this religious leader says, who's your, who's the, what's the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus says, how do you read it? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you're right. Do this and you will live. That's how you get eternal life. And this religious leader says, okay, well, well, who is my neighbor then? And Jesus says, okay, your neighbor is whoever lives next door to you and you feel comfortable with, right? No, he tells the story of the Good Samaritan then. There's a a priest and a Levite go down the road and, and both of them stay away from this guy who's been hurt. But guess what? There's a Samaritan comes along and he takes care of this guy. Who is the good? Who who is demonstrated being a good neighbor to this person who was hurt? And the religious leader can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. He says the one who helped him. And so Jesus is is stirring the pot and he's changing what people expect him to be. And what Jesus is doing is he's going back to the heart of the law of the Old Testament. He's going to the heart of God because he is God. And he is sharing, this is what I want you to be, this is what I want you to look like. So when we get to Luke chapter 12, this is where I left you last spring. If you look at chapter 12, it starts off by saying, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. And he starts speaking. And so Jesus' disciples are there. And if you fast forward down to verse 13, it says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide inheritance with me. And it just it continues on from there. But what happens is Jesus starts with this small crowd of his disciples and then more come. And there's thousands that are there. They're listening to this. And Jesus spends the first half of the chapter or so saying, here's what you're not to be like. You're not to be like, this is not my mission. To look like the religious leaders. Okay, that's not what you're supposed to be like. And you're not supposed to be afraid of persecutors. Okay, if you're going to fear anybody, you need to fear God. Do not fear people that persecute you because that's, that's not, it's not worth being afraid of. Be courageous. Don't make financial security your primary focus in this life. And he shares this, the parable of the rich fool, that this rich fool uh, has a, a great crop and says, I'm going to build bigger barns, I'm going to store, so I am set, I am good, I don't have to worry about anything. And Jesus says, you fool, your life is going to demand it of you tonight. And so we can spend all sorts of effort and all sorts of energy trying to put ourselves in a situation of financial security okay, to the exclusion of the most important things and we gain nothing. That's Jesus' point here. That's very uncomfortable for me to say that, but that's the message that Jesus says here. And he continues on 
And he says, don't worry about stuff in this world. And he says, clothing, food, all that kind of stuff. Those are things that, that everybody else runs after. But guess what? God can take care of that. Look at verse 31. He says, but seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. In verse 34, he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All these things that, that we chase in life, all these things that we, we, we are, are so important to us, Jesus is telling this crowd of thousands, they're not important to God. That's not what God wants for you to define your life as. He wants something different. And that's where I left you last spring. And nobody said anything, but I, I think it... It would have been very justified to say, Chris, why did you do that to us? Okay, now what? What's supposed to happen next? Okay, this is, you just kind of left us hanging here. So we're going to start in verse 35, and we're going to walk through this today. Hey, verse 35, I'll start reading here, and I'll read a, a longer section here, because this, is, this all goes together. But chapter 12, verse 35, Jesus says, Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? Remember, there's thousands of people that are there, and the disciples are closest. People are trying to listen to this. And the Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom the Master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food and allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose the Master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will be put in charge of all his possessions. But suppose a servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not no, and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So Jesus changes here from, instead of talking about, this is what you're not supposed to be. This is not part of my mission. He says, my mission is this. I want you to be ready for when I return. Now let's think about this for a second. There is, um, Jesus said this almost 2,000 years ago, okay? And do you think there might be a tendency within us as people, as human beings, to say, ah, maybe we've got some time. It's taken 2,000 years for him to return. What Landon just read a minute ago about the second coming of Christ. And that's something he promises. I'm going to come back. When I die, I'm going to raise, but I'm coming back. When I return, are you going to be ready? Are you going to be ready when I return? Now, how many of you have, from the time that you were first able to work, you have the same job that you had when you first started working? Raise your hand. Okay? There's a few. There's not many, but there's a few that are still. And, not, and the people that raise their hands are very young. Okay? So the changes may come. Think about this. When you were a child, think about what a hobby that you had that you really liked, that you spent a lot of time pursuing. 
How many of you have that same hobby now that you pursue with every bit the energy that you do at that point in time? Okay? There's a few. There's not many, but there's a few. And I think the point is that we can draw from that is that we as people have a tough time being excited about something for a while. We can be excited about something for 30 seconds. How many of you can handle that? Yeah, I can be excited about something for 30 seconds or 30 days. But when we start talking about 30 years or 60 years or 80 years that we're excited about something through all that time, there's very few hobbies or jobs or whatever that we can bring excitement to through a time period like that, right? And so what Jesus is telling his disciples here, he says, God is coming, Jesus is coming, I'm going to come back, okay? There's going to be a return are you going to be ready or are you going to be someone that says, well, man, Jesus has been a long time in coming. I think I just might, um, I might take things easy. I think I'm going to be distracted about a whole bunch of stuff. Boy, that uh, pursuing wealth, pursuing all this other stuff that, that he said is not a part of the kingdom of God. Man, that seems so good, seems so distracting. I think I'm just going to pursue that and put that as something that is most important in my life. And some, God is somewhere down here. But I know he hasn't come back for 2,000 years, so the chances of him coming back in my lifetime are very small. So I'm just going to pursue other stuff. And, and maybe at some point in time, I'm going to bring him up to number one. Okay? I believe we can do that very simply and very easily in our life because it's so hard to be excited about something long term. But this is exactly Jesus' point here. He said, my mission is, is to come back. And what I want you to do is to be excited about serving me Right now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, whatever, and you just continue to be excited about doing that. In addition, get to work serving. There's stuff that every one of us are gifted at, that every one of us can, can do, every one of us can be in this life. And God has not placed us here and Christianity is not about, okay, now I'm saved, now I just have to wait for heaven. Okay, I'm going to set my stopwatch, I'm going to wait for Jesus to show up. Okay, all right, I'm good, I'm good, here I am. But God's plan for us is when we come into his kingdom, just as the mission that he talks about, taking care of the poor, bringing the good news of Jesus to the people around us, seeking and saving the lost, all of that kind of stuff, we become the hands and feet of Jesus. And that's what he's called us to do and, and to be, is to be people that wake up every day as we talk about, saying, what can I do to live out the abundant life of Jesus today? What can I do to share the message of Jesus with the people around me? And do that day in, day out, and be excited about it. And I wonder, I think there's, uh, what does it take to be excited about something for, for long term? We'll come back to that, and we may talk about some of that here in a bit. But every one of us is not called by God to say, all right, I'm good, I'm set. There I am. But to say, what can I do and what can I be for God today? That's what we're called to be. And there's people that uh, I've, I've been around, that, and all of us can, can think of these people, that are much more advanced in years than I am, and they are excited about God, and that excitement is infectious. You know, that's something that we can all shoot for, in our own way, in, in whatever way that may be. But we look at, I want to be more excited about God 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 50 years from now than I am right now and set that as a goal of what I can be and what I can do. Because I think it is easy for us in this life to become comfortable and just to say, well, I'm good, I'm set, I'm going to be distracted with other stuff. Jesus' words. Jesus' mission as well. If you have been given much, then God expects much of you. 
Um, there is, this has been, for me personally, something very, very convicting in my life that has made to, that has led me to a lot of different choices in life. Because I remember as a teenager, okay, full disclosure here, repentance, okay, confession time with Chris, here we go. I remember as, as, as a preteen and as a kid thinking, oh man, uh, man, I'm a preacher's kid. If I am not a minister, then I don't need to be participating at church near as much, and that sounds pretty good to me. And, and if I'm not, I can sit in the back when I grow up. You know, that's because my, you know, my parents always sat near the front, and so I've done that. I t- typically sit in the back. I enjoy that, okay? But because I get to just see, you know, whatever, I don't know. That's my introvert side that does come out when I sit in the back, I guess, whatever it is. But I just remember these type of things going through my mind and wrestling with, man, I can just sit and I can skate and I can just not be everything that God wants me to be and I can just keep my head low and that sounds awesome to me. But somewhere, somehow, these scriptures kept coming into my mind. If you've been given much, God expects much of you. And I remember thinking, la, 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 la. Yeah. I don't want to think about that. I don't, I, you know, I don't want that. Because I knew that I grew up in a family that loved God. I had walked through some, I'd, I'd learned some ministry things early on that I kept finding myself in situations where I would, the, the spiritual, you know, where I was helping people spiritually and that sort of thing. And I remember the battle that went on inside of me that I had to wrestle through and still do at times, saying, Man, I just want to. I just want to lay low. I just want to relax. I don't want to. I don't want to be what God wants me to be. It's so much easier that way. But I kept hearing this: God has given you so much, and God expects much of you. And I believe that all of us here, and we come from all sorts of different walks of life, all sorts of different situations. But every one of us has a Bible. Every one of us can get into it day in, day out. And I appreciate David's perspective. If you're going to have a soapbox that family should read scripture, that's a pretty good soapbox. Hey, David, you can get on that soapbox anytime, right? That's a good one. That's, that's fantastic. But if I had to make a choice along the way. Am I going to be everything that God wants me to be? And I can tell you from experience that there, there's times where I'd love to duck my head down. There's times that I would, I would love to be just, just lay low. But this comes back. And I think this is true for every one of us. Every one of us that is here this morning. We have been given much. And, and so I would encourage you is to think about this. With what I have been given, whether it be abilities, whether it be opportunities, whatever it may be, understand that God expects a lot out of you. Not any more than you can do. But he's asking for our hearts. And that's what Jesus is sharing here. Day in, day out, for your entire life, you've got your best. That's Jesus' mission here. He continues on in uh, verse 49. He says, I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against another, three against two, and, and two against three. They will be divided father against son, son against mother, father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother-in-law, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Bam, that sounds like a whole lot of conflict there, doesn't it? And I wrestle with this because Jesus says he's called the Prince of Peace. Part of the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, 
Peace, yeah, that's the next one. And that's part of the Spirit of God, is that He is one that brings peace to the world. And so when Jesus says, I've not come to bring peace, mm, now that's not something I, I understand Jesus to be saying. He's really wrestling through these words here, saying, what I'm, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't come to peace is not going to come. In aspects. Okay, what Jesus is not saying, like this verse was used during the Crusades, is Jesus has brought war to the world, therefore we're going to bring our armies in order to, to conquer the Holy Land again. That's not what Jesus' point is. And Jesus' point isn't even with the crowd that he's talking to, is saying, if someone is not a follower of, of if a family does not follow God whatsoever, and someone decides to follow God, and becomes a Christian, then there's going to be conflict there. That's not even what Jesus is talking about. Remember who he's talking to. He's talking to Jews that understand and believe that they are fine with God. And what Jesus is saying here is some of you, and it, it hurts my heart, and it tears me apart to think about this, but all of you thousands that are there listening, there's some of you that are going to hear the words that I'm sharing, and it's going to change your life. And you're going to come and you're going to follow me. And your families that are supposed to be God-fearers are going to give you more grief than anybody else because you've chosen to follow me. believe that that's what Jesus is talking about here. And I think any one of us, when we are working to follow God and we wrestle, we find that my Christian parents, who I speak very highly of, that are wonderful people, I've had to wrestle through their faith not being mine at times. There's things that my mom and dad and I would disagree on at times, and we wrestle through. But that's part of that process of looking more like Jesus. And, and that is difficult. And Jesus is speaking to these people saying, there's following me involves suffering and judgment at times. And it can divide families. Okay? So be ready. Be ready to follow me. Okay? Now, I don't want to go too far Jesus is not saying is, all right, I'm just going to blow everybody up and I'm just going to, you know, that's not his point here. Jesus is speaking from a place of hurt, a place of saying it takes commitment and, and dedication to follow me and that creates conflict at times. He continues on in verse 54 and he said, says to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say it's going to rain and it does. And then when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know to interpret the present time? I know something that someone told me when I first arrived here in, in Belgrade is that if you plant a garden, do not plant a garden until all the snow is melted off the bridges. How many of you have heard that? Okay, you've heard that. Is that true? It's not? I don't know. But I know that when, I, when we planted a garden before the snow is off the bridges, it hasn't done well. And so I don't know all of that. But that's one of those things that people that have lived in the valley a long time have looked at and said, wait, that's something that, that we, can, we can predict the weather to some extent by, by looking at the snow on the bridges. We can get, go outside, we can look around, and if there's a big dark cloud that's coming from the west, what do we know? It's going to rain. Very likely it's going to rain. And Jesus says, you guys know how to interpret the weather, but you can't interpret can't understand what's going on right in front of your face, right here, right now. Can't interpret the times. And he says in verse 57, Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? Are you going, if you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to recon, be reconciled on the way, or your adversary may drag you off to the judge, and the judge will turn you over to the officer, and the officer will throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. 
So the question for us is, who is in the position here to be the judge? As our world has a tendency to pick up the Bible, to look at it and say, huh, I'm going to read this, I'm going to see whether I believe in this or not, or I'm going to read through the story of Jesus and I'm going to be judge and jury on whether Jesus is who he says he is and what he is all about. And Jesus' point is, be careful, because if he is God himself, ultimately, we may wrestle, we may struggle, but we've got to figure out how to come to terms with who he is or we're not going to end up um, in a place of peace. And furthermore, I believe that Jesus is, this is um, an invitation, if we can say it that way, in how Jesus is, is sharing in Luke chapter 12. These are things that, that are so distracting over here, whether it be wealth, whether it be religious leaders, whatever it may be, all of that stuff, that's not what my, my mission is about. My mission is about getting up every day and saying, I am God's, and I'm His today, I will be His tomorrow, and I will be His for as long as God gives me light, and I will be more excited about following God years from now than I am right now. That's what God asks of us. And I can't imagine these, what was going through the minds of these people, the thousands of people that are there, that are listening, and thinking, huh, hmm, I wonder... I wonder if this guy's legit. I wonder if I'm really going to follow him or not. And Jesus tells them, you're not the judge and jury in this. God is. And your job is to follow me. And 2,000 years ago, until now, every generation, people have read the Gospel of Luke, have been convicted by it and said, not interested in that, or someday I'll be interested in that, I'm going to be that servant that, that I'm going to eat my master's food. I'm going to treat his house as my own. I'm just going to, it's mine, my own, my precious, you know, all that kind of stuff. This is just how I'm going to roll. Be selfish. And Jesus says, someday I'm going to return and it's not going to work. And so for every one of us, our job, as Jesus is saying, is what am I going to do right now? And he is asking every one of us to commit our lives to him and to follow him, to join with his mission and be the people that he calls us to be. He's entrusted us with much and he's asking much of us. And that's what he wants for every one of us. Every one of you, every one of us here has been uniquely gifted in order to follow God, to do amazing things that make a difference for eternity. And I pray that all of us can wake up every morning deciding I'm going to be part of Jesus' mission today. If, that's, if, if your heart's here and you think, man, that's just not where I'm at. I'm coasting. Then, then I would encourage you to make that commitment to Jesus again today and say, I recommit my life to God and I will not slide. I will not just put everything else above Jesus. I'm his and I'm in from now on. And it takes that commitment, and I have to recommit, I think all of us have to recommit at times to think about what's most important, and that's what Jesus shares with us today, is that he wants all of us to put him as number one and go the distance. If you'd like to become a Christian or you'd like prayers of the church, the elders are waiting in the back, and they're glad to walk with you through whatever you've got going on in life right now and to pray with you during this time. And let's stand and sing together.